Hi, this is Amy Leverton from Denim Dudes, and I have five special podcasts coming to you from the recent Project Las Vegas trade shows, exploring some of the most loaded pain points facing our industry right now. We'll be talking about sustainability, inclusivity, brand values, customizing, and smarter marketing. In a world that's changing by the minute, I decided to sit down and pick some of my favorite brains in the industry. Michael Williams of A Continuous Lean and Paul and Williams is going to be talking about cutting through the crap in the marketing world. How do brands shift their marketing strategies to remain relevant in this noisy world we live in? My name is uh, Amy Leverton from Denim Dudes and I am here hosting a bunch of one-on-ones with interesting and intelligent people. Can't be me. Unfortunately, only Michael Williams could. <laughs> Thank you. I deserve that. <laughs> so I'm going to just give people a bit of an insight into sure. your background. You're a writer and a creative strategist. You live in Los Angeles. And you started off in New York, 2007, you founded a Continuous Lean. And around that time, you also co-founded your creative marketing company with Ali. Yeah, Ali Paul. One of your big passions is, you know, made in America, manufacturing. I want to kind of talk to you about marketing, but also I love the fact that with a Continuous Lean and through your Paul and Williams, the kind of your both sides of the coin, which is really, really interesting. And in addition to a Continuous Lean, you have written for GQ, Men's Journal, Men's Health, Condé Nast, Traveller, and I'm sure a bunch of other stuff as well. So, yeah, do you want to start by telling us, yeah, a little bit about your story, your background, how it all came about? Yeah, I, you know, I, I work for a denim company. It was like one of my first jobs. I worked for this PR agency, worked for this denim brand. Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, this was like the moment diesel like became a big thing and jeans were being sold for over $100 and people were shocked. And I remember my parents being like, you know, freaked out that I would pay such a, you know, crazy amount for jeans. So I like kind of came up through the denim world and I just always liked it. And it's this like democratic thing. And so that's like uh, phase one of premium denim in a way. Totally. And I, maybe I was like, you know, Maurizio was like really part of phase one. I was like mm-hmm. 1.1 or something like that. I was, <laughs> I was back there and I was playing a tiny unimportant role in all of that. But for me, if there's like a moment where like you have this love affair with a product or a brand or a, a time and, that was that sort of era for me where I, I would I kind of was getting into denim and 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 started to learn about you know we're doing marketing and and talking about these brands and mm-hmm. at that point I'm learning about like all the nitty gritty of like what goes into denim and then yeah. you see that there's so much behind it that goes into it and mm-hmm. like so much nuance and art you know craftsmanship and there's you know just so many characters in it. That for me, that was like, oh, I'm like super drawn to this as a thing. And and that sort of like has been the through line maybe of like my career. And, you know, denim has sort of like always been a part of it. Big part Um, of it, yeah. But but I, so I just, I worked for an agency and then eventually I went and worked for a brand. And then eventually, you know, I actually went to work for a Japanese company. They had a bunch of different brands and they were going to hire me to be this like marketing role. And at the last minute, they said, you know, instead of working for us, would you be an independent contractor? And I said, you know, because they were Japanese, I think they didn't want to make the commitment of hiring me. Yeah. And then, yeah. so I was like, oh, that's interesting. You, you know, I forced your hand into Yeah, and then, I, and then I took on clients, and eventually I rolled that into Paul and Williams with my partner, Allie. Got you. So, and that started before I ever started my blog, and I started okay. writing or any of that stuff. Got you. Um, 
So it started with marketing and then, well, yeah, so what inspired you to start the blog? I mean, that was just on the cusp of heritage sort of bubbling up. You know, we're all sick of the word heritage. It's been overused. but mm-hmm. um, And so I guess you could say it's sort of trending down. But what I think it ushered in is this like, you know, return to, you know, built to last and quality. And that came in and it stayed, you know what I mean? Like that a mentality, it's sort of ushered in a better, I don't know, a more transparent way of looking at how garments are made, which is great. You know, but I think like if you look at, you know, countries like Italy or Japan, there's always been this sort of draw to things being well made and craftsmanship and yeah, sort and of the like and, the, and what goes into the things that you use. And mm. in America, I think it took like kind of the food mo- movement for that to happen. Yeah. And, and I think the Internet made it really easy for people to sort of find those pockets of, you know, like what's going into the stuff I'm using or wearing. And now it's like insane. Like my wife's like having our couch cushions tested to see like what's on, you know, it's like, what are they treating this stuff yeah. with? So it's like, you, there's so much information now, Wellness right? And, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, you can, you can find out so much. So I was just kind of, when I started the blog, I thought like I'd come to seriously a place like project and be at the show and kind of have this insider look at what was going on before. I think a lot of people saw that were outside the industry saw what was going on, yeah. you know, with clothing brands. And so I just started talking about it and it was, just that moment I was just the right trend or the right approach at the right right time in the right medium and I think that's continued I think that's you know exaggerated and accelerated since because like you say now people want to know you know what fibers are being used where they've come from where's the button from where's the I mean not everybody but you know it's going in that direction I think it went a lot to that and and then it created this consumer that's like super keyed in on that yeah and to me I, I always look at heritage or that craftsmanship aficionado person and think about them sort of like the preppy person like preppy trends and then it doesn't trend and there's kind of always this base layer of people that are into it and they never move off it and there's brands that just always do it and never leave it yeah for sure so obviously you know you have a huge amount of experience with the world of marketing so you have your website you have your blog and you have everything that you learned from that what's the relationship between that and then everything that you were doing in the marketing world and how did they feed each other? Yeah, I think, you know, people are inspired by good stories and and I think that that's something that like doesn't matter the medium. You know, what I was doing from like a marketing or PR perspective versus what I'm doing on my blog or what's happening on Instagram, it's all kind of like I'm trying to tell a certain story or trying to get yeah. people to understand something specific about my client or my mm, this project or something yeah. I believe in or whatever it is. So, and I think you know, the medium has changed a lot and sort of the mm. delivery has changed a lot. But I still hear stories of founders of brands that I'm like, that's just so inspiring and cool. You know, I, how I, do we... it, to me, it's like, I just want to tell that story or like, how do, how do people know that about you Got that you've you. done this or whatever? Yeah, essentially, I guess that's what marketing is. It's just like, how do you tell that story or how do you get a bunch of people ex- as excited as you personally are about whatever it is. I feel like the amount of time that you've been working in this field is the exact amount of time that shit has changed dramatically. So I kind of wanted to like dig into that a little bit and get some insights of how you approach your job now compared to say 10 years ago and you know how things have changed. Yeah I think there's definitely been a paradigm shift and Mm -hmm. not just in the clothing world or the media world it's it's happening just so in so many places and you know i think like it's interesting to for me to be you know i'm 41 years old so i've kind of lived this analog life i've lived a very digital life i've seen sort of how 
a brand would launch in 2000 and how a brand launches in 2020. And they're very different things, but then maybe at the core, I think it's in a way now it's harder, but it's also if you're making a good product, it's easier. Yeah, cream rises to the surface kind of thing. Yeah, and in 2000, there's like a lot of gatekeepers, right? It's like maybe a store or it's a magazine. It's, you know, yes. and, and, and if you can work those angles or you know the right store or you have the right, rela- the right relationships, the right, yeah, the right yeah. showrooms. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Celebrity yeah. endorsements. Yeah, and then it, it, was, it was a little bit more straightforward. Now I think it's just the major challenge in everything now is just there's so much noise, like so many paths you can take, so many ways you could go with marketing that mm. I think it's like almost debilitating in a lot of ways yeah. for brands. Okay, so a couple of things you said there. I'd like, love to talk about that. I also think you're, you've hit the nail on the head, the traditional gatekeepers have disappeared. Like you say, magazines, printed media, celebrities, or even, yeah, the right showroom picking you up um, or what have you. So now those gatekeepers are gone and it is much more direct to consumer. What are the biggest, I guess, success stories or ways that you've noticed that a brand of today has really like hit the ball out of the park and nailed it? And have you got any advice? (laughs) Is there like a magic formula? In a way, if you're outside of like the traditional system where you're making a good product and you can't get the attention of a gatekeeper, now it's like a better time, right? Because you can sort of build this direct following and build a business without like these those sort of people to sign off on you. I mean, I could talk about Everlane or we could talk about like businesses that have built like a really beautiful like direct relationship. To me, it's like it's more about a community. And I think Everlane has like a lot of buy-in from customers. They trust the brand. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a testament to their marketing and how cohesive it's been and just like strategically well positioned. Yeah. But I look at a brand like Rafa, right? And it's like Rafa. My brother loves them. People that love it really, really love it. And they like really buy into it. And they built that on a community. They built it outside of like the traditional cycling universe, right? Mm. Cycling is very controlled by these big companies, right? Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of them were like, this will never work. Hmm. And Rafa's like, watch us. We're going to like build community and we're going to get buy in. And I think like that to me now is the moment where it's not about like the agency you hire or your strategy on social or sometimes it's not even totally about product Mm. but I think products obviously like the starting point yeah but you need to build a community and if you can't build a brand we talk at our office and one of the guys this guy Ralph Dunning who I have worked for in the past and has started a bunch of brands like we talk a lot about smallest viable audience right it's like what are the if you're starting a brand you have you can get like 5,000 super fans and they buy everything you put out yeah. and they love you. Yeah. And and that can sustain your business. Mm. That's what that's what you need to start a brand. I think you don't need like a million dollars in Instagram budget. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I love the idea of the super fan and if if you've got those followers or those uh, customers or consumers, as long as you've got a great product and you've got that super fan audience, you're right. And then those guys tell other guys and those guys tell more guys and and, and if the product is good then people will do marketing for you yeah yeah. I'd love to get into that because I think that's been fascinating for me you know when you just think of 
the Instagrammable moments. You know, when there's like a, a party or an event and there's a backdrop and there's a product and you're just like, you go, or, or even just like unboxing videos. It's just like, these guys are literally doing your marketing campaign for you. It's so clever. And that's become a huge thing. So do you guys, when you work with brands, do you kind of strategize that stuff? You know, I see a brand that like does a collaboration uh, with a car company and it's very authentic to who they are. And you could tell like they're doing it because they love it. And they're aligned with maybe those super fans or that smallest viable audience, right? So they're aligned with them. They're doing something they love. Those people totally get what they're, where they're going and why they're doing it. And to me, like, that's good. That makes good marketing sense. And, like, that's, that's good marketing. You know, I was actually, at, like, talking to Jeff Carvalho from High Snobiety earlier. And we were talking about Allbirds and how, like, a lot of the growth is, like, driven by word of mouth. Like, people like it. Then they become advocates for your brand. Yeah. If you looked at a brand that started in 2000 or a denim brand that maybe someone that had success in 2000 and then they're trying to relaunch a new brand in 2020, you can't just like plug in the right showroom, plug in the right PR company, send it to celebrities and like hope it's going to work. It's like a much more difficult conversation now. It's almost like you have to think anti-corporately as great English but you know like well said yeah anti-corporately um so basically you know those smaller exciting brands that you like you know like you say like your friend's brand you build it up it's about an amazing product it's about a community all of those things do you think that today's consumer is kind of almost anti uh big corporation you know how do you emulate that like how do you get to that place say if you I mean I don't want to say a brand name, but let's all think of one. We can all think of one from in this room, probably. Say if you're that denim brand, how do you try and get granular, get like community? How do you, how do, you do that as a big brand? Because I feel like you're right, it's changed. This is, this is the million dollar question, right? <laughs> I mean, I think if I could truly answer this. I'm not going to pay you that yeah. much money. <laughs> I'll take a wire or however you want to pay me, it's fine. Um, we can all club together. I think people now... I, and look, I do a lot of marketing for smaller, like mostly smaller brands, but we have a couple of big clients. But, you know, I think young people now are much more open to being marketed to in general. It's I don't think they're actually like anti-corporate. I don't okay. think that's, I think that they just have a just much better, savvy. much more, yeah, they're, they're more savvy, have a much better sense of what's authentic in terms of like the what the brand is doing or to build an audience, though, to say, like, I'm going to start a denim brand and, and this is the playbook, I think it's it has to, at, at some point, be like, you, you have to start from somewhere, but you have to make a good product and then you have to, you have to find a reason to exist, right? Yeah. Like, you can't just, like, launch and then figure out, like, how you're going to market it, how you're going to position it, how you're going to distribute it. it like, all of that sort of has to be baked in. And then you need to, like, very clearly know where you're going and who you're talking to and then talk to them. Because if you don't know, they're not going to yeah, get it. And, and I, I think it's rare that you can sort of figure it out on the fly, but it can happen. Mm. A lot of brands that had early success started at a moment where e-commerce was inexpensive or was sort of becoming inexpensive to build. Yeah. And like digital marketing was inexpensive. Mm. And those two things like made a lot of those brands work. Now it's like very expensive to do digital marketing and social advertising is very expensive. Yeah, it's comparatively into a big industry. So yeah. therefore, yeah. So I think it's harder now to you can't just like say we're going to make this toothbrush subscription service which actually exists, yeah, right? Yeah. And then we're going to spend a ton of money on Facebook and Instagram it's going to work. Yeah. You know, now I think it's like it's a little bit more 
complicated, but... Yeah, because there's structure now, you know, those platforms were renegade and organic, and now structure's been built in and cost has been built yeah, in. Yeah, everyone, there's a lot of people there too. <clears throat> yeah. I think about, it's a, it's kind of a, maybe a stupid analogy, but I think a lot about like In-N-Out. Like you go to In-N-Out mm. Burger and it's like four things on the menu and like, mm. I mean, I actually think about In-N-Out because it's no, delicious. It's but fucking good. No, but like you look at the menu and there's four things and you're like, yeah. you, you don't have that moment where you're trying to decide like what I want to do. And I yeah, think you na- go I to think, In-N-Out, you, you know what you're going to get before you even walk in. Yeah. 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 You like, it's mm. not even a thought. And I feel like that's in our, in our world now. It's like the simplicity of mm, a very nice. simple offering. You know, I, I feel like overwhelmed with choice every mm. day. And to me, it's like it's brands don't consider that much. They don't think like we're just going to sell these three things really well. You know, everyone's trying to throw a million things at a wall. We were having this conversation yesterday and I got a little bit of like a teenager about it because I was like, oh, it's greed. Because I do think you're right. I love the idea of um, that analogy about in and out because the market is huge. There's a lot of noise out there. How do you cut through the noise? You do one or two things and you do them brilliantly. And I think the trouble is with a lot of brands is they're like, they start as a denim brand and they're like, well, we have to do everything and we have to, you know, I have to be everything to everyone. And by doing that, they kind of water themselves down. Mm-hmm. Then they're lost. Then, then they're lost. And in then the noise. they're not appealing to anyone. No. But that's yeah. why I'm saying, like, if you just focus on the 5,000 people yes. that will support your brand no matter what, then it'll, it, chances are, I think it like, will have a much better impact. chance of success wow, and much better inca- impact mm. than trying to be everything to everyone. I look at a lot of brands and they're everything, trying to be everything and they're nothing. And I just look at them and think, this is not inspiring. And yeah. you know, if you're gonna buy something at this point, you know, it should be hopefully inspiring and, yeah. And, yeah, and, exactly. and worthy your money, right? So I, if you were a big brand right now that kind of expanded a little too much, would you would, you would try and... I don't know, if you're a big brand already, maybe that suits your business, right? I think Levi's is interesting. We've mentioned them quite a bit. They're actually doing, I think, a really good job in the last five years of sort of through mostly, I think, collabs, uh, collaborating with different people because then they, they still have their one core product, but they're like also simultaneously hitting a lot of different people, little different subcultures. Mm-hmm. And some of those can be big like hello kitty and then some of them can be like niche like denim tears and if you hit all of those kind of markets then you can still be something to everyone i mean levi's can do a lot and and they can be creative in ways that i think other brands can't true and it's like if you look at any decade there's like an authentic levi's moment in every in the 60s in the 70s in the 80s like they the 90s like doesn't matter where trends go they like can't escape mm. you know like levi's will be on top of it so it's kind of a like an anomaly in that sense i don't think there's any foolproof anything right now i think it's like <laughs> no. people will support what's good generally it's I don't think like a lot of brands can exist that aren't good anymore, but that happened at a certain point. Yeah. Where like the distribution would just drive the brand. Like at a certain point, theoretically, you could open a certain amount of stores and the critical mass of your yeah. then that was distribution enough. just will just drive this brand to be a billion dollar company. It's it's very difficult to do that at this yeah. point. And and yeah, there are a lot of brands who have probably enjoyed a lot of success. And I mean, I hate to I I hate to put anyone down, you know. People have enjoyed success, and that's great. But yeah, I like the idea now that that's not enough. You know, that you've got to be more than that to cut through the crap. Um, and people are suffering because of that. I don't want anyone suffering, but I kind of also want the the, the genuine, authentic, awesome people to rise 
and the ones that had maybe a bit of a, a shady money-making ulterior motive uh, yeah. to fail miserably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> crash I, and burn. Yeah, I mean, I think like the world is changing a lot and yeah. people are starting to realize that just like the way everyone consumes things is not theoretically something that could exist in perpetuity, right? So it's like we're mm. all going to have to make decisions in a different way. I don't know, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, streetwear has sort of changed things up quite a bit. And I think when we talk about denim, I think authenticity and being a genuine brand and having quality product um, does definitely speak to the sen- your, the, your sentiment. And there's parts of you know, the streetwear culture that um, I think also lend themselves to that. But there's also this, this hype thing. And like, we are both older. I'm about to turn 40. So obviously, I don't get it. So if I don't get it, then it's wrong. But... I would say, and maybe I'm wrong, but just for devil's advocate, there's some products that I see or some logos or some brands where you're just like, you're just buying that for the hype. And like, if you just strip the name off or strip the logo off, you don't need to purchase that, sir, you know? Simultaneously, streetwear is sort of bubbling along and, you know, being crazy successful. And the hype part of that does go against what we're kind of talking about because they are sometimes buying a product without meaning. I think, actually, uh, this is a good point, counterpoint. Excellent. Um, where that's I what can, I Where I can, you know, healthily... Teach me something. With, with respect, Come. disagree with you. Yes, um, that's what I I, I think um, I benefited a lot from, like, the hype around Heritage, right? I probably never would have had a successful site without those people. Good point. And eventually those people moved on, and there were certain people that stuck around and whatever. But the way I look at dressing and clothes and sort of hype, and a lot of that stuff fits into this, and... And I think like the delivery mechanism is a little bit different now than it was maybe when you and I were, you know, teenagers or whatever. Cool. Cool. When we when we were culturally anchored to what was happening. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone's going through in their lives like they go through this process of figuring out what their style is and what they like. And at a certain point when you're young, I think you make decisions based on like finding that path. And you dress a yeah. certain way and you buy into things because you're like trying to figure out who you are. You know, I saw, I was at a preschool tour in West LA the other day and in at this kind of fancy preschool and there's a parent in the parking lot right when I get there wearing like head to toe off white. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was shocked, you know, I'm just shocked at like the universe that I live in, but it's cool. It's like, if that's what you want to do, like that makes you happy, you should yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Cause I'm a big fan of uh, Virgil and I'm a very small fan of off white. Um, <laughs> um, but I think you know, big, big Virgil LV fan, very small off white. Yeah, I, I don't know. Not, yeah, I mean, it just shows. It, it's a great, it's a great barometer of where, what, how old I am, really, because I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Um, you know, I really hate the logo with a vengeance, but I respect him because what's great about him is he has sort of, he's figured it out. He has created hype around products that uh, you know is almost unrivaled and and that's dead smart i mean you know some people i think put him down or you know drag him through the mud for say copying but he's actually very good at aligning with great people elevating those people talking about those people how they've inspired him and i think that is like you say it goes back to that transparent honest authentic you know he's post-heritage <laughs> You know, I, I actually in a way he he is he I give him a lot of credit I think he's like a, a very creative and and he has good instincts right and and I think like that's to me it's like he's just got great instincts he knows like yeah. what to do and where to go and who yeah. to hire but I think it's also like you have to have to give like luxury brands credit for 
at least seeing the emergence of that to some degree and, yeah, and making and a pretty bold it. choice to do that, yeah. which I think was probably difficult. So um, to that point, there was, there was a conversation yesterday with an amazing lady called Zara Ahmed, and she is the new CEO at DL1961, and she's, I think, 28. And uh, it's, a, it's a family-run business, and obviously it was a family decision to put her in that position. If she was working for another big company and she was just a person, she probably wouldn't have been given that CEO role. But I think it's super refreshing because she's very smart. She's connected to the culture, like you said earlier. You know, she's got a little brother who is Gen Z, and um, and they are, you know, they are killing it as far as marketing, holistically doing really, mm -hmm. really well. I think, you know, Gen Z is coming up. We are having to rethink things and smart companies need to listen to that youth you know they are controlling things so why not listen to them i think it's there is a sort of divide at a certain point where it's hard for a certain generation maybe to look back and, and understand like what you know these new younger people are really like thinking and doing yeah and it's just like they can't sort of jump over that moat right yeah you and, just and can't get it and they're just it. like yeah. me and off white it's like I just can't i'm trying <laughs> i just can't yeah. it's funny you say you know i always said like at a certain i'm never going to lose touch of music i looked at my parents and i thought what's wrong with them why don't I they know. like but now i'm like uh -oh. who are these <laughs> yeah but I, I generally know but a lot of times i'm like i'm old i i tend to just like i listen to stuff and i'm like okay i listened i listened <laughs> okay i can move on now but yeah I'm the, I'm the, the algorithm made you listen so I, you yeah have exactly a i'm like okay i've got it i've got to listen so i know but i don't really know um so this is one of the final parts like uh, the industry is on this process of flipping on its axis all those traditional models that we've built you know ourselves the industry is built and that we've been using from supply chains to the way we do marketing to everything all of that's changing and morphing and in some cases crumbling away what's your vision of the future fashion system and i guess with a marketing angle but also you know as you're a writer you know yeah. what's your future vision oh geez that's a, I know, it's that's a, a horrible good question i'm sorry it is it's a good one to end on you know just make sure you go out you know sounding like an idiot which i can guarantee that i'll do <laughs> i think that it's not going to be probably as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be, but in any situation of change, like it's inherently uncomfortable, right? Yep. And usually change is, you know, it's like a, a fire is good for a forest, right? So sometimes it's, I think it can be beneficial, but you know, I think that, I think this industry in general and not to like be overly critical is, you know, it's like pretty bloated and wasteful. And I think it's probably good to get rid of some of this stuff, right? And I think the evolution of where things going, it's it's going to be like a hybrid model of like what it is now and maybe, you know, what's what's to come. Right. But I don't think like in a lot of situations, like clothes are going to go away. You know, I feel like we always think that, you know, the most dramatic version of what could put, you know, like this is happening. So the end result is crash and burn, you know, whereas it might just be, like you say, an iteration or a morphing. Um, but maybe people aren't making good stuff, and then when you're not making good product, yeah. it, now you it becomes, like, very challenging, right? Which is probably and a like good thing. Like you say, thing. it's a good thing. It's I a good thing, and it makes room for a new generation who are coming up and, and growing up. And do you think in this current climate there is room for a brand to emerge, say, this year, and do a Levi's and be around for a hundred... I mean, who knows if we're all going to be around, but imagine we were all going to be around and no one's dying. And, Jeez, um, this got very dark. Yeah, it got very dark, sorry. Jeez, but yeah, like, denim, denim nook got if, yeah, very dark. If, if we're, sorry, we're all dead. If we're all still alive, which we probably are not, if we're all still alive in a hundred years, 
do you think it's do you, or do you think by its very essence like today's world it's just not made for these uh, for longevity no I think you know I think that human nature just there's always going to be sort of a part of human nature to sort of look back at the past and celebrate those things so I actually think like there will be brands that are born this year that last a hundred years and you know I think it's in a lot of cases like it's not always like brands that survive that are the best that have survived you know 500 years or whatever but yeah I think it's like a cultural thing sometimes more than it is yeah you, you know like a business environment thing you know I think like it can still happen but it's I don't know I think if you look at like we're going to be around in a hundred years and that's your mentality starting the business I, I don't know if like that's probably the right way to look at it yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll supreme be around in hundred years. Probably off white. Ooh, that's a question. <laughs> I think Supreme will be here longer than off white. I mean, how yeah, old is Supreme? Would, it started yeah. what year? Tronzo knows. Ninety four. So yeah. you know, twenty six yeah. years of Supreme. That's a long. That's a long time. It's pretty. That's a good. long time. Yeah, for sure. Has anyone got any questions? If not, then I'm going to round this up and say thank you so much. Yeah. You did sound super intelligent all the way through. Nailed it. You were nervous about me taking questions, so you just skipped over the whole part. I think it's a smart move. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that. Anyway, thanks for listening. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, guys. Follow us over on Instagram and the Denim Dudes blog for more denim industry insights.